Romans chapter 14, verses 1 through 23, the whole chapter. I'm reading through the whole chapter quickly, and then we'll go through the points that are there. I trust that you've had an opportunity to look at the chapter even before. If you haven't, do read it again after this morning. There's a lot of different truths in this chapter that really need to get into us. I'm highlighting just a few points, but let's start to read in Romans chapter 14, verse 1. Accept the one whose faith is weak without quarreling over disputable matters. One person's faith allows them to eat anything, but another whose faith is weak eats only vegetables. The one who eats everything must not treat with contempt the one who does not. And the one who does not eat everything must not judge the one who does, for God has accepted them. Who are you to judge someone else's servant? To their own master, servants stand or fall, and they will stand, for the Lord is able to make them stand. One person considers one day more sacred than another, another considers every day alike. Each of them should be fully convinced in their own mind. Whoever regards one day as special does so to the Lord. Whoever eats meat does so to the Lord, for they give thanks to God. And whoever abstains does so to the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives for ourselves alone, and none of us dies for ourselves alone. If we live, we live for the Lord, and if we die, we die for the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. For this very reason, Christ died and returned to life so that he might be the Lord of both the dead and the living. You then, why do you judge your brother or sister? Or why do you treat them with contempt? For we all stand before God's judgment seat. It is written, as surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow before me, every tongue will acknowledge God. So then, each of us will give an account of ourselves to God. Therefore, let us stop passing judgment on one another. Instead, make up your mind not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in the way of a brother or sister. I am convinced, being fully persuaded in the Lord Jesus, that nothing is unclean in itself. But if anyone regards something as unclean, then for that person it is unclean. If your brother or sister is distressed because of what you eat, you are no longer acting in love. Do not, by your eating, destroy someone from who, for whom Christ died. Therefore, do not let what you know is good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Because anyone who serves Christ in this way is pleasing to God and receives human approval. Let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification. Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. All food is clean, but it is wrong for a person to eat anything that causes anyone else to stumble. It is better not to eat meat or drink wine or to do anything that will cause your brother or sister to fall. So whatever you believe about these things, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who does not condemn himself by what he approves. But whoever has doubts is condemned if they eat, because their eating is not from faith. And everything that does not come from faith is sin. The chapter begins and ends with the word in common, faith. 
Paul starts out by telling us in verse 1 to accept the one whose faith is weak. He ends by telling us in verse 23 that everything that does not come from faith is sin. In between, in verses 1 through 23, in between those verses, he lays out how to deal with weak and strong brothers and sisters based on this very important charge. Don't quarrel over disputable matters. Don't quarrel over disputable matters. The reference to disputable matters, those beliefs or practices that are open to question or debate, means that there are indisputable matters. Or, in other words, there are matters that are essential to the faith, matters that are crucial to our understanding of and receipt of salvation. There are matters that are important in that way. And there are matters that really don't matter. They are non-essential to the faith and are more a matter of conscience rather than doctrine. And in, in between these two possibilities are matters that may be important but are not actually required for salvation. So the question is, how can we distinguish between all these matters? So that we're not fighting over minor items without or whilst losing sight of all the major items. How do we, how do we keep from getting into all of that? How do we make sure that we stay focused on what is important, what is essential? Now, if I do, or as soon as I list any items at all, some of you may think of at least some of those items as essential and therefore of major importance, while others may think of those very same items as non-essential and therefore of minor importance. So my focus this morning is not whether you observe special days, including the Sabbath, eat special foods, including non-kosher meat as referenced here or meat sacrificed to idols as referenced in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, or drink special drinks, including alcohol. Instead, I want to share three principles for how the weak and the strong can mutually edify and build each other in the body of Christ. So, I've mentioned this before, but it bears repeating in this context. There are certain matters that were important before the cross, but are fulfilled or terminated at the cross, and are no longer essential for salvation or required for us to continue doing now. A good example of that is blood or animal sacrifice. With Jesus' perfect sacrifice on the cross as the Lamb of God, we no longer need to shed the blood of a lamb for the remission of our sins. We receive Jesus' perfect sacrifice, and we no longer have to do an animal sacrifice. Another example is that of maintaining kosher or proper dietary laws. And before the cross, to do that was a means of adhering to God's covenant requirements or to God's laws. And it was a way for the children of Israel to be set apart, to be consecrated, to be holy to the Lord. And the world around them 
by observing what they did, by observing how they lived, by observing what they ate and how they ate it, they said, oh, these people are separate. They are consecrated to the Lord. Now, after the cross, we are called to submit ourselves to the Lord Jesus and receive the Holy Spirit who transforms us from the inside out. And that mark of consecration, offering our bodies as living sacrifices, consecrating ourselves unto the Lord, receiving the Lord Jesus, allowing the Holy Spirit to be at work in us, that work of consecration is now what marks us as being set apart for the Lord and being holy unto him. So there's nothing wrong in eating kosher food today, but it is not required in the same way that it was in the past. So those are a couple of examples of those things that come to the cross but don't continue after the cross, right? Don't continue in the same way. So similarly, there's a number of different points throughout the Bible where we have to evaluate it and say, what does this mean in light of the cross? So with that significance of the cross in mind, let's consider the three principles that I'm referring to. So principle number one, don't major on minor doctrines or minor on major doctrines, right? Don't major on minor doctrines or minor on the major doctrines that the world, that the word has called us to, right? The word of God makes it very clear. There are major beliefs of the Christian faith, most of which we have already encountered in Romans. And we can agree about these truths about God, about Jesus, about the Holy Spirit, the nature of sin, justification, how God justifies us and saves us by grace through faith and not through works. So we have all of those truths. And then we start to see these truths about the ongoing sanctification of God in our lives, transforming us into his likeness throughout our days and continuing in that until there is a future glorification where we are joined with the Lord Jesus for all eternity. We spend our eternal days, our eternal life with the Lord Jesus. So these are some of the core beliefs. These are some of the major doctrines. These are the things that we have even stated in creeds and hymns and you know, other ways. We say these are the things that matter. And when you say that you're a Christian, you hold to these, these tenets of the faith. Now, there are significant differences between numerous Christian denominations about baptism, end times, church government, but for the most part, but in, for the most part, the major beliefs that I was pointing to and that I'm saying these are the core beliefs, those remain true amongst Christian denominations, right? And our ongoing study of the Word of God, why do we go to the Word of God every Sunday? Why do we want to discuss about that and, and go back into it on Wednesday? And why do we have other opportunities whenever we gather to say, let's go to the Word of God? Because we want to study the Word of God. We want to receive the Word of God into ourselves. We want to have it be light that illuminates, reveals, that tells us, this is what is right. This is what is wrong. This is the truth. This is sound doctrine. The Bible uses that phrase, that we should pay attention to sound doctrine. And in that in the last days, people will 
give up or will not listen to sound doctrine and they will listen to what their itching ears want to hear and they will go in all sorts of different ways. So the Bible is clear that we have a responsibility to pursue the understanding and the adoption of sound doctrine. Right? It's not sufficient for us to say, well, this is kind of confusing or there's a debate about this topic or I'm not so sure about this or this person who seems to be a great Christian disagrees with me. Uh, you know, I'm just not going to get into the argument. That's not the point I'm making. I'm not saying that we, have, we don't have to struggle with this. We don't have to grapple with the questions. We don't have to see what is right and wrong. We do. We have a responsibility to do that. But what Paul is pointing out here is there are things that are essential and there are things that are non-essential. Don't get into quarrels about these non-essential things. Right? Now, divisions in the church have not just been about what we eat or drink. There have also been differences of opinion that range, I mean, just some, some, some that you think about today and you think, why in the world did churches split about these kinds of things? There was a whole controversy about what the minister should wear in the, in the pulpit. The vestments of the minister. It was called the vestral you know, controversy. There was, the whole divisions happened in the church about whether the minister should wear the robe, what should be the adornment. I mean, and we, today we think about it and we say, really? But we, we have divided. We have divided over things that the word never called us to consider as essential. And so these kinds of differences of opinion and differences about what music is appropriate in the church and whether you should have guitars or not or drums or not. I mean, people have divided over these things, right? And we've gone in all sorts of ways. And so Paul's charge is that we do not quarrel over these kinds of non-essential differences, meaning that we should be careful not to let preferences, human tradition, culture, pride, or stubbornness be the reason for divisions to be created and divisions to remain. Once there's a division, nobody wants to say, oh, you know, uh, I'm sorry, I'm, I was wrong. You know, no, we stay in those divisions. And most of the time, it's over trivial stuff. The world outside looks at this stuff and goes, really, you're arguing about this? You know, this is the thing that has happened. So the principle here, and the thing that I want to emphasize is this, that we don't major on all those non-essential things, and that we don't neglect the essential things but that we would pursue those things of the Lord with fervor, with intensity. The second principle is as important, and one that we've been talking about in the past weeks too. It is this. Build others up. Don't tear them down. Build others up. Don't tear them down. Verse 13 that we read says, Make up your mind not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in the way of a brother or a sister. If what you're going to do is going to cause somebody else to stumble, it doesn't matter whether you are right. Just don't put the stumbling block in, 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 their, in their path. Don't let them go down that path where they start to get agitated, provoked, and start to get... You say, oh, you're offended by this? Oh, fine, no problem. I just won't do this. Right? I, just, I don't have to indulge in that. I don't have to do that. That's fine. It is a non-essential issue. Right? Or, 
In verse 15 it says, if your brother or sister is distressed because of what you eat, you are no longer acting in love. How, how would you like that? You really like this dish. You, you, you were looking forward to eating it all week. You got there and your brother says, oh, how could you be eating that? The moment you say, I don't care about what you think. I love this and you eat it. The Bible says you are not acting in love. Have you thought of that? Have you thought that your eating that dish was not acting in love? You know, it, this, is, this is really what we were talking about even last week in Romans chapter 13, verse 8. Owe everyone, don't owe anyone anything, but owe everyone the debt of love. And at that point last week, I didn't tell you that the, one of the ways in which you express that love is not to eat your favorite food. But hey, if that's what it is, that you would say, I owe this person a debt of love, and for their sake, I won't eat this. In verse 19, it says, Let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and mutual edification, building up. My concern is not, what do I have? What do I want? What can I do? How should I do it? My concern is, how can I help you? How can I make sure that you're built up? And maybe you have a wrong thinking about this. But instead of arguing and proving to you that I'm right, how can I help you? How can I bring you along? What can I do in the meantime that would not offend you? And how can I engage in a conversation? I'm going to get into a few more points about that in just a little bit here. But our motivation, our motivation must be to build others up in love. And principle number three. He says this, the kingdom of God is not about eating or drinking. The kingdom of God is a matter of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. As children of God, we are citizens of God's kingdom. We're already citizens of God's kingdom. The moment you were received into the family of God, received into that union and relationship with God, we have already begun our eternal lives. Right? We, don't, we don't wait till we die on this earth to say now we can begin our eternal life. We actually began that life. We began that citizenship in the kingdom of God when we said we receive this Lord as our Savior. We receive him as our King. We receive him as the one who we submit to and the one to whom we owe all our allegiance as the King of Kings. The characteristics of that kingdom are righteousness, peace, and joy. Righteousness, peace, and joy. That means what we believe, what we do, and how we relate to God and others should be all be rooted in and result in righteousness. Right standing before God and therefore right standing before people. It should result in peace. Living peaceable and quiet lives that are governed by the Holy Spirit for the purpose of sharing the gospel with others. And it should result in joy the strengthening of the Lord to fulfill his purpose in and through us. If we're constantly striving and struggling, we're not sure of our identity in Christ, we don't know if we're saved, we don't know whether we're going to heaven, we don't know whether what we're doing is right or wrong or according to the will of God. If there is no peace or joy in you, in your home, in your marriage, in your parenting, in, it's always strife and confusion. If there is no just the, the, the peace of God guarding your heart and your mind, 
then you have to evaluate and say, am I in the kingdom of God? Because in the kingdom of God, the characteristics of, them, of that kingdom are righteousness, peace, and joy. If that is what the Lord has promised, if that is what he has said is yours, is yours as a citizen of this kingdom, then if we're not experiencing that, we have to say, Lord God, how do I come to you? How do I turn to you? Maybe I have been claiming to be a part of the kingdom of God, but I haven't been living in the kingdom of God. Maybe I have not been, I've been in strife and division and you know, debate with the, my brother and my sister because I'm actually not in the kingdom of God. And I need to come to you, Lord, and say, God, let me be with you. Let me be in you. Let me be joined to you. Because when that happens, I will look at others differently. I will process things differently. I will live differently. And I'm moving to this point of application rather quickly here this morning because I want to spend a little time in terms of how we respond. Because when we hear the word of God, we say, Lord God, I want to hear the word of God, but I want to be a doer of the word of God. And the question is, how do we respond? Well, we respond and apply the word of God that we have heard by acting in love. That's what these, these chapters are calling us to, to act in love. We act in love by faith. Paul opens and closes that's this chapter or this passage, that section, with that call to faith. Without faith, it, if you do something without faith, it is sin, he says. He doesn't just say, well, it won't work. He says, if you do something without faith, if you, don't do, if you do something that is not from faith, not coming from a position of faith, it is sin. What does he mean? Because when we do something that is not coming from faith, we're not putting our trust in God. We're not saying, oh, I have this disagreement, God will help me. We're saying, I have this disagreement, it's up to me to convince this person that they're wrong. When we have this position that we are in that comes from faith, we're saying, Lord, it's not about the outcome. It's about trusting you always in everything and to rely on you no matter what. That's the faith that we have. That's the assurance that we have. That's why we can say, I believe that these are the things that the Lord has promised for me and I see this at work in my life. Oh, thank God for it. And so we come to the Lord in faith, but we act in love to the people around us. Now, weakness and strength in this passage don't imply that the weak person is not saved or that the strong person is always right. That's not what he's saying. He's talking about brothers and sisters in the Lord. You know, your weaker brother, your stronger brother. He's not talking, your sister, he's not talking about people who are not saved and saved, right? Who are, you know, just apostate. They don't know what the things of the truth of God and the other people, they, they know the truth. That's not what he's talking about. It's very possible for the same person to be weak in one area where they are fixated on a non-essential matter and then for that same person to be strong in another area where they stand unwaveringly for the essential truth. And you'll see this consistently. You'll see this with many people. They will stand for some things. They'll stand for that unwavering truth, that essential truth, that doctrine of God with such confidence, with such strength. And you say, wow, that, that, that's bold. That's courageous. That's, 
that's convicted, you know, faith in what they have. But at the same time, that same person may do something that you say, oh, well, why are they doing this? I mean, we see that example with Paul and Peter, right? Peter was a person who stood unwaveringly, stood before the leaders, the Jewish leaders, and said, you know, you can tell us whatever you want, but we're not going to stop talking about Jesus. You, you can kill us even, it doesn't matter. But at the same time, when the Judaizers approached him and said, why are you eating with the Gentiles? Why are you not observing kosher? You know, why are you not doing this? He said, oh, I better go do this. And Paul and Peter had a severe disagreement about it. They came, they clashed about it. The same person, the same person led by God, filled with the Holy Spirit, ministering for the Lord, doing all of these things, was weak in one and strong in another area. And so this is not about you know, you're not saved, or you, know, oh, you disagree with me, what kind of Christian are you, right? That's not the point here. We're not trying to point fingers at somebody else and accuse them of being less than. We're saying, how can we come along? What is it that is possible for us to agree on? How do we come to stand together on the essentials, right? And how do we deal with these differences that we have? Paul charges us repeatedly in this chapter not to judge others. Maybe they're making a mistake. But he says, leave it to the master. They are servants who have to be accountable to their master. Leave it to God. Don't judge them. Don't get into a conflict with them. Many times, our divisions in the body of Christ are not because there are true doctrinal differences, but because we have judged others and found them wanting according to our thinking. We judge them and we say, oh, not good enough. And we do that to our spouses, we do that to our children, we do that to our brothers and sisters, we do that with colleagues, we do that, you know, just in general. We judge. And we say, oh, not good enough. And the Bible is making it clear, don't judge. Don't judge. You can, con you can seek to convince them, you can seek to share with them, you, you know, you can do all of those things, but don't judge. And so, what do you do when there are points of disagreement? I want to share some practical points or healthy ways in which we, the weak and the strong, can dialogue together. First thing, grace. Show grace. Show grace. God has shown grace to us. How many times have you gone to God and said silly things, stupid things, unnecessary things, argued with God, asked for things that you shouldn't have, whatever? Did God say, Away. He showed grace. He showed grace to us. And we look back on some of those things and we say, oh, how could I even have done that? Oh, thank God he showed grace to me. Amazing grace. Thank God that he showed that grace to me. Well, we need to show that grace to one another. We need to listen to each other. We need to recognize and acknowledge the different opinions that others have. We need to see that they have a different point of view. And we say, okay, let me listen to you. Show grace. Show that, that yielding and that mutual submission and that way to say, let me listen to you attentively. Let me listen to you with all that is in me. Not trying to figure out how to argue with you. You know, not listening to say, okay, they said one, two, three, ah, oh, third, I got it, you know. No, we listen, we listen and we show grace. We seek to understand 
rather than being understood. We show grace. Second, it's this call to love all through this passage, but it's this call to charity. It's this call to love. It's showing God's love. It's showing that agape love of God. But it's seeing the person as God sees them. When you see that person that you're disagreeing with, what do you see? Oh, this person that has done this to me. Oh, this person who has said this to me. Or do you see them and you say, this is how God sees them as a child. This is how God sees them as a loved one. This is how God sees them as the one he shed his blood on the, cal on the cross for. This is how God sees them as one for whom he wants the best. This is how God sees them as one for whom he's willing to give everything. Oh, how do I see that person? Do I see them with the eyes of love that the Lord has for that person? Or do I see them with my perspective? I'm, my filter is the filter of the disagreement. We're arguing about this, and I'll, that's all that I can see. Right? Charity, love. By the way, these are not easy things that I'm pointing out to you. Right? These, are, these are tough things. We need the Holy Spirit to do this. How do you show the love of God? Only by God himself being in us and through us, right? We see the person as God sees them. We have genuine concern for that other person. We prefer them over ourselves. We say, oh, I, I, I truly want to see you blessed. And that's the love that the Lord calls us to. Next, humility, being humble and showing respect. Start your conversation with, I might be wrong. Or start your conversation with, I might not know. Maybe you do, maybe you do. Right? But when you show humility, I, you know, when you are respecting the other person, when you say, I, I, you know, I could be wrong about this. Let's talk about that. You know that the other person's not going to come, and come back to you and say, no, 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 you are right, let's debate this. If you say, I might be wrong, they're not going to argue with you, right? If you say, I may not, I don't know all that there that is to know about this, they're not going to say, no, 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 you know everything, you know? They're not. They're going to say, oh, okay, there's a humility, there's a respect, there's an eagerness to communicate. By the way, please say it only if you mean it. If you say to somebody, I may be wrong, but in your mind you're thinking, I know I'm not, <laughs> right? Guess what? Guess what? They will know it too. <laughs> right? And they will know you're not being sincere. I mean, be sincere in saying to them, look, let's talk about this. Let me be humble about this. Let me respect you. Let's listen carefully. You know? I have wanted to make my point that I think I'm right, but I may be wrong. Let me talk to you. Let's be willing to learn from each other. Let me listen to you. Because I have thought about like I have thought about this for all my life. All my life I've thought about this in this way. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I need to listen to you. And maybe as you speak and maybe as we listen to each other, we will discover something that both of us need to learn and come to. And then that brings us to this last point, this healthy communication kind of thing that I'm talking about. That we would say, I want to be meek and gentle. Don't think that meekness means weakness. 
You know, it just means that we would yield. We would hold back. Mm, that word is right on your tongue. It's, you just want to say it and you hold back. You're gentle. You're allowing the other person the space that they want, that they need. And you speak only to build up, not tear down. Not tear down the person and not tear down their argument. Oh, you know, that third word that you used in the fifth sentence? Ah, I got you. That was not the right word. And you tear down their arguments. No, that's not what the Lord is asking us to do. He says, be meek, be gentle. Oh, it's so tough. It's so tough to be meek and gentle, doesn't it? And you would think when you're weak, pardon me, when you're meek, you're weak, you think that way. And you think, no, 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 I need to assert myself. But the Bible calls us to do everything that the world tells us not, tells us to do. The Bible calls us not to do that. The Bible tells us to do something contrary. It says, show grace, be loving, be humble, respect, and be meek and gentle. So that way, as we do these things, will that solve every disagreement? Maybe not. I'm not promising you that this week, if you go and practice all these things, by the end of this week, when you come to church next Sunday, you will have a testimony to share that you have no further disagreements with anybody in the world. I'm not telling you that. But give it a try. Give it a try. What can you lose? You have nothing to lose and everything to gain by saying, Lord God, I submit to you. Let me not be a stumbling block. Let me not cause my brother or my sister to stumble. Let me not do something that would just be for the sake of contention, competition. You know, let me instead say, how can we do this? How can we speak together? What can we do? How can we bring this to the resolution in Christ Jesus? How can we let him be the peace, the prince of peace, the peace in this situation? Heavenly Father, we thank you that on this day, even as we celebrate you, Lord, coming in and being hailed, being recognized as the King of Kings. We ask you to be the King of our hearts, to be the one that watches over us and causes us to live for you so that we would not quarrel with others about disputable matters, about non-essentials. Lord, that we would not be caught up in our own preferences and our points of view and our wants and desires, but instead... Lord, dying to self and preferring others above ourselves, we would come to you and say, Lord God, you help us. You cause us to live in these ways and to love in these ways by faith. In ourselves, we cannot do it. We can't even see ourselves doing this. But by faith, we declare that you, Lord Jesus, you, Holy Spirit, will empower us will fill us, will transform us to achieve that which you have promised. So we ask for it in Jesus' name. Amen.